Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. This is Reba and Allison, and welcome to Rooted Deep. So, Allie, how is the weather in the Dominican Republic? I mean, we are a little chilly in Chattanooga, so what's happening down there? Well, I, like I said, it is just nice, warm, and toasty tropical island here, and people walk by every day, and they complain to me, they complain to Anna about how hot it is, and Anna just shrugs and says, you're on a tropical island. That's that's all you can expect. <laughs> that's all you can We're expect. in the tropics. It's lovely. All right. Well, it is uh, the colder weather has dipped in a little bit in Chattanooga. And we've got a guest today who really understands what it is like to experience the cold weather. Uh, (laughs) So we've got uh, Ran Hummel joining us today. And Ran lives in New England. And so, uh, Ran, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, it's good to be here. You guys are talking about sunny weather. It was minus seven here this morning, and but I'm sitting downstairs next to my wood stove, hot cup of coffee. I'm really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let me introduce Rand for those people who don't know you. Uh, I mean, you've been doing this thing a long time. You and I've been friends for a really long time, and uh, you've been in ministry uh, for a long time. Uh, but for those that don't know Rand, he is an author. He's written over 30 books. He's the director of the Wilds of New England, which is a camp and a conference center for uh, young people uh, that runs all summer. We'll let him maybe share a little bit about that. He's a speaker. Uh, It's very hard to even find a spot on his calendar to get him to come and speak because uh, he's been doing it for a really long time and people love him. So he's well known in colleges and conferences, churches, Uh, married to Amber. Uh, two adult kids and three grandkids, which I know he adores. And uh, so, Rand, we're so glad you're here and uh, glad that you kind of come to join us today to talk about a pretty tough topic. Yeah, it is a joy to be with you. And I just appreciate you guys having such a burden for those who have been sinned against and don't know how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today we're going to dive in to talking about the topic of pornography. and. Allison and I operate on, on one side of this, and Ran uh, shares some of that side with us, but also operates on another side, which I think is just going to be so vital. Uh, Ran has written two books that are really zone in. Uh, one is called Lest You Fall. The other one is The Dark Side of the Internet that really kind of dive into this. Ran, I know that you do um, conferences on the topic and have really been for years trying to help not just our young people, uh, but our adults as well, uh, deal with this trap of pornography. Yeah, yeah. And it is. I mean, obviously, it's sad. And any addictive uh, sin, honestly, when people are involved in these things, it's, it's a weird combination because there's arrogance involved, but there's also a loser mentality. Because most of the men I counsel, uh, you know, they're either arrogantly saying, don't tell me what to do. But even so, that's that's just they're just hiding behind that because they feel like losers. Uh, they would love, love not to be addicted. But when I even say love, they would love not to be addicted, but they don't direct their love in a way that they keep from being addicted. And what I'm saying is 
every conference I've done, which has been literally hundreds of uh, purity conferences, and I greet them, say hi, we laugh a little bit, and then I say, well, guys, I'm glad I'm here, and I want to be a blessing to you, but you must understand, I already know what you're going to do in regards to pornography two years from now. I already know. You're going to do what you love. And, and the greatest of all commandments is to love God with all your heart, soul, get this, and mind, and to love others much the same way. So if you really, really love God, and you love your wife, and you love your kids, you're going to do right. But if you love you more than you love your wife, more than you love your kids, more than you love your God, you're going to sin. It really does come down. You do what you love, because we, we talk about what we think about, and we think about what we love. And it comes down to a bottom line, who am I going to love in this situation? Wow. That's, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's really that's simple. extremely simple and yet deep at the same time. I'm yeah. writing it down. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. And, and Rand, I know through the years, because you've done so much counseling, and I know that you and I have sometimes uh, uh, co-worked together in counseling a little bit. What have you learned about this addiction to pornography as you've worked to counseling and teaching for all these years, what are some things that you've learned about it that, that you can help us understand? Okay. Well, first of all, um, it's so easy today. Come on. You know, 30, 40 years ago, you had to look for it. You had to search for it. And today, these poor kids, I mean, it's on their phone. It's on their iPads. They can't play a video game. They, you, you can't go to Instagram. You can't go Facebook without it slapping you in the face, okay? Uh, I would say the average age of the guys, I that at least come to me for counsel, the average age of starting is 11, and it's young. And, and when I say that, I, my mind goes real quick to First Peter uh, 2, I think is verse 14. When it talks about having eyes full of adultery, the very next phrase is they cannot cease from sin. And so it's like this verse in Peter was written yesterday in regards to pornography because it is so addictive, but it doesn't stop the eyes filled of adultery who cannot cease from sin. And the next phrase is beguiling uh, unstable souls. And when you look at that phrase, and I'll ask in the purity conference, say, guys, what does this mean? What is an unstable soul? An unstable soul is somebody who falls a lot. It's somebody who are so young that by reason of use, they've never exercised their senses to even know what to do to do right. I'm talking about little kids that are pulled into this. Beguiling unstable souls is, is a teenage girl that'll sit in my office weeping because she was molested by a brother, or a dad, or an uncle because he allowed his thinking to control his doing, you know? And so when I say beguile, of course, that word itself means to cheat out of, just like if you remember Satan beguiled Eve through subtlety. Sure. Well, he cheated her out of God's best for her life. And so this is what's happening. But then the verse doesn't even stop there. It goes on to say, in a heart they have exercised the covetous practices. And you can take every one of those words. Uh, a heart, this is a heart issue. You do what you love. They have exercised, the Greek word is gymnazo. It's, it's, they work at this. They go after it day after day after day uh, to, be, to where it becomes part of their psyche and who they are. But then even covetous practices. And sometimes people are saying the word of God is so out of date. No, it's not. Because yeah. you take the word covetousness, Hebrews tells us the opposite of covetousness is contentment. 
And therefore, contentment, realizing God has given me everything I need for my present happiness, my present wife, my present family, my present situation. But let's crawl all the way back to the Old Testament, as old as the old, as old as the Ten Commandments, when it says they should not covet. What's one of the things there? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Right. Even if she's in a magazine or on a video, okay? Or yeah. she is given to where she's looking for men, or she's driven, as you guys deal with, into prostitution and all that. And you're not to covet that, okay? Desire that, okay? And the verse says, it says, cursed children, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of your sin, okay? And And the problem here is... Many, many of the people that I counsel, they're looking for a rescue from the consequences of sin, but not from the sin. Right. And until they until they hate sin, like God hates it, hate sin more than the consequences of sin, I'm telling you, they'll probably never, ever get out of it. Seriously. So I want to say this. It, there's, unless there's a brokenness, I mean, a brokenness. I. I hate to say this, but I don't see much victory in my counseling until the men are broken. What does Isaiah say at the end of Isaiah verse chapter 66, maybe verse one or two? Uh, to this man will I look. This is God speaking. Here's what I'm looking for. He who is he who is humble or lowly, contrite of spirit, and trembles at my word. Now that contrite, the word means pulverized, beat to such a dust you can't even put it back together. Unless a gentleman is humble broken to the point that he cannot put himself back together and trembles at even the thought of violating God's word and violating the trust that he has with others. He's probably not going to see extended victory in this stuff. Yeah. That's some good stuff. Go ahead, Ellie. It looked like you about had a question there. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. And this is kind of a weird question, but when going to the um, going to when somebody is broken, generally they probably and that you make for, uh, you may correct me on this one, but do they don't get to your counseling office unless they've basically been caught or or do you have a lot of people who are like, no, I'm, I'm you know, and, and that's the difference. And sometimes it takes that that moment. And I feel like those moments are God moments because that's where God had to get them to get them broken. But what what is that? What does that look like when you're when you're yeah. in that counseling moment? No, that that's that's a great thought there. And again, I'm a youth guy. I've had I've had the privilege to be a camp director for over 42 years. Uh, I will say. I, didn't, I can't give you a percentage, but yeah. many of the college age or teenagers that come to me, they come because they're scared. Mm. They want help. And when they come and want help, I can mm. help them. Yeah. When a pastor calls me and says, Rand, he's weeping. My wife caught me. Can you help us? I can help them. Yeah. When they're caught and sent to me and they're mad, <laughs> honestly, I'll tell you how I counsel them. And it, in any form of sexual sin, any form, all the weird ones, the outlandish ones, uh, from porn to acting out in every way you can imagine, when they come and they're defensive and they want help, don't want help, um, my counseling s- session is very short. And you can tell, you know. And I'll just, I usually get up out of my desk chair and walk around, sit in front of my desk, and I say, you know, I'm not going to waste your time. I know you're upset, you're mad, you don't want to be here, so I have two words for you, okay? 
The first word is unchangeable. The word of God is unchangeable. And I usually pick up my Bible. I said it, I don't care what we say and what kind of culture we live in. It is unchangeable. And this is the will of God. Even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication, pornea, at any level. This is God's will for your life. That you don't go on and defraud, cheat somebody out of the purity that they would have loved to have, okay? It's unchangeable. You can't change it. And I can go to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. I can go to 1 Thessalonians 4. I can go to Philippians 4, 8. I can go to passage after passage and show you this. But the second word is unavoidable. And unavoidable, I look at them and I say, you and I have something in common. That talks them a little bit. I say, we're going to die. You're going to die and I'm going to die. And we're both going to kneel before God. I'm telling you. And regardless of what you say to me, I'm scared to death for you. Now, I will say every level of sexual addiction I have sat before, whether it be a husband and a wife or a girl or a guy, and usually when I end on these kind of people with this kind of confrontation, often they cry and hug me mm. and walk away and never want to be counseled again. But my prayer is, uh, that this will so shock them into reality. I'm thinking of one I did that to, and she got into terrible sexual sin, and the parents brought her, and she tried to trap me to turn me in for conversion therapy and all these things, you know. But the idea was, how much do you get paid? I said, I don't get paid. I've never been paid for counseling. I have no degrees in this. I barely have a bachelor's. You know what? I'm a camp guy that loves kids, and I try to study the Bible. And I'm scared for you. And she's doing great today. This yeah. is like five, six years later. She's doing great. Yeah. And uh, I can think of a couple pastors right now that they're doing so well. And that goes to another question that you had, Reba. You know why the pastors do well? Because they have a wife that is willing to love their husbands, Ephesians 4.32, and forgive their husbands, even as God for Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And they don't say he hates me. They say he has a problem and I want to help him. And if a wife, now that takes a humble, gracious spirit. I understand that. But if a wife can just take a minute. And when I did, what I just did is a definition of long suffering. It means to be of long breath or long nose. And God often does that for each one of us. Okay. And when a wife can say, okay, I do love him, I'm mad at him, but I do love him and I want to help him. And then we have seen victory, okay? I know I've rambled on quite a bit there. No, this is good. Well, Rand, I think that's a, you know, maybe a great follow-up question to what you just said, because I'm sure um, we've been in this too long. I know there's a woman listening who who's struggling in her marriage because of this. She knows she's got a husband that's there. So what can you say to her right now, to that woman? who's got a husband, whether she's confronted him or hasn't confronted him, or they've talked about it or they haven't talked about it. What can you say to this woman who's got a husband addicted? What can she do? Okay. That is actually a wonderful question. Number one, if she demoralizes him and becomes the person, did you look at porn today? I'm telling you, it's just a matter of time. He's out of there. I don't care who we are. We are proud individuals. And we hate our pride, 
And if he's broken, <clears throat> that is a good thing. But that kind of uh, attack, uh, and uh, mothers to sons, did you look at bad stuff today? And I'm going to take your computer and your game and all that, okay? You're helping them while you're standing there being the Holy Spirit in their lives, but you're not helping them in the future. So I encourage girls and moms, wives, do this. Hey, what did God teach you today from his word? That's the question daily. What is God teaching you about himself? Because if a guy is in the word, he may struggle. And by the way, I preach this, struggling, the word struggle is not bad. The word struggle is a good word because it tells me they haven't quit. They haven't thrown in the towel. They haven't given up. And I usually use the illustration. I ask the question, did Paul win the fight? Did he win the race? And everybody screams out, yes. The Bible never says he did. It says he ran the race. He fought the fight. You go to Romans 7, he got knocked down many, many more times than he even made it up. Second Timothy, when he ended his race, there was nobody even there to watch him come across the finish line. It doesn't say he won. It says he fought and he ran and he never stopped fighting and he never stopped running until he saw his Lord face to face. He crossed that finish line. Okay. And so guys to say, I'm struggling. I said, well, good. I'm glad you're struggling, fighting. And I pray that you'll learn to, to not give in as much as don't give up and give in. Uh, you got to give it to God and keep going, okay? So, I, number one, I encourage wives to be very positive in their question. Number two, I, over all these years, I wish I had a pill. I wish I had a magic potion or a, what, what do you call it? A magic wand. Yes, <laughs> a magic wand that I could fix their problems, I wish. And honestly, there is none. You know what there is? Um, this is it. This, this is the only thing that can ever change a man or a woman addicted to any sexual sin, physically and mentally, yeah. is the word of God. Well, wherewithal shall young man cleanse his way? How can a guy be clean? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart of I sought thee through this book, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. You are clean through the word which I have given you, the washing of the water of the word in Ephesians. In fact, it's the motivation. So I'm sitting recently at camp with a husband and a wife. He's addicted to porn, okay? She's trying to help. She understands. She had a terrible past. She understands. She's not throwing him in, you know, under the bus. She wants to help, okay? So we're sitting there, and I said, well, sir, tell me. I mean, you're here talking with me, and uh, why? Why do you want victory? And he started, he gave me, a, started a list of why, because I feel like a loser, and I'm embarrassed in front of my wife. If they find out at work, I might get fired. My kids, what will they think of me? I said, stop. Come on, dude, you are so stinking selfish. Everything you told me was for you. When you can never win if your motivation is just to hide behind your problems. You never mention one time your love for your wife or your love for God. And so when I counsel guys who have given into this, you know, my first assignment is we go to the book of Psalms for three weeks, one to two hours a day, writing down God is my blank or my God is blank. God is my high tower. God is my shepherd. God is my fortress. My God is strong. My God is patient even with me so when they get to know god the more you spend time with god the more you know about god the more you love him 
And now my motivation is not I'm going to get in trouble. My wife's going to think I'm a jerk and be mad at me again. Now I'm, I'm displeasing God. Okay. So the whole motivation for why we do what we do is so essential to teach these guys. And so the, the first key is not, and there's a book, Randy Alcorn, The Purity Principle, uh, Heath Lambert, Finally Free. These are excellent books to motivate us to do right and remind us that we're a bunch of losers. We're all a mess. But it's not until they get to know God. First Peter, what is it? How, how do you multiply peace and grace? By increasing in your knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is getting to know God. And this is where most of these guys are messing up because they don't have the proper motivation. Again, they're trying to get away from the consequences. So for a wife, ask God, ask God to give you First of all, the patience and the long suffering that God gives you. I put it this way. I said, be as patient with your husband as God is with you. Okay. Because remember, sometimes we categorize sins like, you know, pornography compare. Okay. You compare pornography with worry. Most moms worry. They're good at worrying. I mean, I used to tease Amber. She'd make Josh put a bicycle helmet on to go out and feed the dog. Okay. We, we, okay. Now, what is the difference between worry and a sexual sin? Sexual sin is physical. It's giving in to the desire of the flesh. Worry is an attack on the very character of God. You are not strong enough. You are not wise enough to handle my kids or my situation. So honestly, when we get way back and look at sin as it really is, whoa, we're all a mess, okay? And when we understand that, then, okay, okay, I know God will help get us through this, okay? So for the wise, number one, be positive, okay? Number two, realize that God has forgiven all of us on whatever sin struggle that we face, okay? Number three, I hardly know how to explain this, but I usually say, hey, I'll look at oh, the wife and <clears throat> I'll say, you know, I hope you understand that as difficult as it is, and I want to be very careful how I phrase this, as difficult as it is to compare yourself physically with the pretend pictures and the fake world that he's looking at, um, you have to understand that this does not mean that he does not love you. He wishes he wasn't addicted. It doesn't mean he looks down on you. He, it, it doesn't. And so honestly, when it's time for you guys to be intimate, if you allow that to control your thinking or throw that in his face, what have you been looking at? You know, you're just destroying even his hope for being able to be victorious in this thing. Um, so in the heart of hearts, if she can understand my husband's he's got a problem and I want to help him with this. And the best thing she can do is encourage him in the word of God. Okay. Uh, can I say this too, regarding the word of God changing? When I mentioned this, this little book, Lest You Fall, Meditations to Fight Moral Impurity. Let me tell you why I wrote this thing. Um, I didn't get to grow up in this wonderful squeaky clean world that I get to live in now. Okay. And it's not squeaky clean as we know, but uh, again, I grew up in a very difficult situation. Four years of my life, I was raised by my grandfather, who was heavy, heavy drinker. I grew up in a very yucky world. I'll just say that, very yucky. And so understanding that number of years ago, I don't even remember how many now, 20, 25. In one week, I got a call from three of my friends 
all three were pastors or youth pastors. All three had been to Bible college. All three worked at the wilds. All three were in jail for molesting kids. And, and how do you respond to that? Some people get angry and, whoa, they're a bunch of bums. I cried and I got scared because I wasn't raised in you. And these were guys I thought never sinned. And I'm thinking with the mess that I grew up with, I'm, I'm, I'm toast. I'm dead. There's no way I can make it through life without falling prey to something. So what I did, scared to death, I, it was Christmas. I had two weeks off for Christmas. I got up before o'clock. And I spent from 5 to 12 every morning in the Word, every verse I could find. This was before computers, okay? Every <laughs> verse I could find. And I'd write the verse and study the Word studies. And I would write paragraphs just for me, okay? Had nothing to do with preaching, had nothing to do with writing. And then when I was asked to write Dark Side of the Internet book, I said, no. I said, I can't write. I, I, I graduated with a BA and barely did that. Couldn't even go to grad school. My GPA was too low. And so I, they said, well, could we take one of your messages and put it in book form? I said, well, you're welcome to do that, but I can't write. So they did. It did well. Then they asked if I'd write. And I said, no, I can't. I'm not smart enough. They said, well, do you have anything? I said, okay, I have some meditations. And that's what started this whole thing. And since then, there's one on anger, turn away wrath, and uh, fear not. And the latest is stress less, trust more, which my wife told me the other day, I need to reread the book I wrote, okay? <laughs> and what I'm saying is, it is only the very words of God. So here's what I do. I encourage a dad and a son to get one of these booklets. Lest you fall. This is what you, you told us before. Um, yeah. You told us before we started that this is actually a homework book. Totally. This is yeah. not a book to motivate. Mm -hmm. This is homework. And it has about 125 passages, very short meditations. You both buy one. And dad, or my, you don't sit down and preach this to your son. You say, hey, this week we're going to meditate on meditation 9, 10, 11. And then I always tease. I said, then on Saturday, used to be you go to McDonald's, get a Coke. Now you mortgage your home, go to Starbucks and get a couple of, get a lot. Okay. So you go and you both share with each other what you learned from this. Yeah. And if the dad says, you know, when this book said, pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before fall, the root of all sexual sin is selfish pride. But I want you to know that dad, He's being proud, prideful when he gives into this. And I've often said only arrogant men get addicted to porn because you're only thinking of you and not others. So I have them do it separately. So then the door is wide open. The boy already knows what they're going to talk about when they go to the coffee shop. Okay. And what the goal is getting them into the word, getting them into the word and loving the word enough that that becomes a habit in their life. It is the only thing that will clean their minds that I know of. So again, I'm sorry that I go so long on your questions. I hope it's a help. No, it's, it's excellent. And I did want to ask you this because you've spoken um, to this topic uh, toward men, but how much I do feel like um, addiction to pornography among women is growing and it is, it's a huge issue as well. And what, I mean, obviously the love of the word of God, uh, arrogance and, and this all that. um, I think this uh, most of the most of um, the things would be that would be the same um, as far as counseling goes. But how much have you seen that affect maybe um, recently? Yeah. Okay. Now you got to understand, I am a teen guy. Okay. Yeah. My world is teenagers, and then my 
best friends on earth are all like mid twenties. And they <laughs> all the time they text me, call me, and and this is my life because it's my staff. And I pour my life into my staff and they are my second family. I know that. Okay. So I have cried many. And by the way, I've had some counseling uh, seminars where I've had, went to one where they said you shouldn't keep tissues in your counseling room. I'm thinking they don't counsel the kids I counsel because <laughs> we both cry. And I've had many times I've had kids walk in and look at me, college kids start crying, said, Rand, I might be pregnant. And what do I do? You got to help me. I don't know how to tell my dad. And this is, this is life. Okay. This is life. So the pornography draw for the girls is increasing big time. Number one is just there. Number two, it's more of a fantasy of what I want to look like sometime. And then the problem is, I mean, you know, there's every body type you can imagine and think about. So they get comparing and come on. It's a fake world, a pretend world. Okay. And so, um, you know, I've, you know, read Dana Gresh's material, which is excellent on be a secret keeper. And by the way, they've rephrased that all now because it's hard to use the word secret keeper because of the the constant abuse. It's like I'm trying to keep a secret. No. And that just means the Bible says it calls body parts uh, secret parts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I deal with the girls on this issue, and I try to be careful. Now I'm a grandpa, so I can probably get away with it a little easier than the guy, maybe 40. But I'll say, girls, you're all beautiful. You're wonderful. But keep your secret. Mm-hmm. Keep it. Let a guy fight for it. Let him let him work for that. And that's what comes in marriage. Keep your secret. It's a special, special gift that you have. Um, and so the world that we live in today with the immodesty and so forth, and these girls, it's just a total insecurity. Um, I encourage dads, would you please tell your daughters they're beautiful and give them hugs? Let them know that, okay? And in counseling, you want to encourage them that we all, you know, you know, they are beautiful, but we have to be beautiful in our countenance. There's a word for joy, if I can remember, simcha. It's a Hebrew word for joy, and it means it's a brightness in the face, in the brightness of the eyes. And if you think about the Old Testament, you can see it in some Middle Eastern countries today. All they see are their eyes. Okay, and there's a brightness in the eyes and the smile and the countenance that reveals the brightness of the heart. Okay, and so you know we we live in a world that I feel sorry for the girls because they figure if they don't look a certain way that no guy would ever be interested. I have girls, college gay girls, say, Randy, is there any guys out there left that haven't been addicted to porn? These are sad questions that come to me, and I use these when I talk with the guys. I say, guys. You got to work at this. It is, as one book is entitled, Every Man's Battle. It is every man's battle. But remember this, too, for the girls, for the guys, for the wives, for the kids who have been abused. Um, We have eternity to look forward to. I'm a big proponent of hastening unto the coming of the Lord. I want the Lord (laughs) to come back today. And I often, often want to make sure that uh, everybody lives today like the Lord is coming tomorrow, okay? In heaven, the world will be gone. The flesh will have these new bodies. The devil is locked up. The world, the flesh, and the devil are gone. There's no marriage. There's no sex. We will hang together and laugh together without 
any sexual innuendos, any fear of that. We'll praise God together. We'll do fun things together. Because remember, even in the Garden of Eden, you know what Adam did? He worked and he worshiped. He kept the garden and he walked with God. And that's what we're going to do in eternity. So there is hope that we will get through this simple, quick breath of a life and have all eternity that we don't have to struggle with this. So I try to give some hope there, okay? Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want to comment on that. How do you deal with the girls who have obviously been abused in some way or the wives who have been hurt so badly? Uh, how do you approach them when it comes to just simple forgiveness? Because I know my Bible says if I have ought against any, when I come to pray or to worship, God says, don't pray, don't worship. Go make it right with the one that you have offended, who has offended you, then come back and worship and pray. And I believe that when we allow our hearts to be so consumed with our anger and bitterness, it only paralyzes our own Christian life. And it doesn't impact the other people who have sinned against us. How do you girls, where do you start with that? I'll jump in and then I'll let Allie ping off from that. You know, I think one of the one of the such a great passage of scripture in Luke where the disciples, uh, Jesus kind of starts off teaching his disciples and he says almost really it, it's impossible to live in this world and not be offended. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on and says, but woe to them that by whom that offense comes. And, and, and as Jesus kind of walks through that passage, and then as you lay that passage along with other teachings of forgiveness, one of the things that I think the devil's lied to us about forgiveness is that somehow, um, Forgiveness is letting people off the hook or mm. forgiveness is saying it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's OK or any of those things. And really, when I look at scripture and I look at this principle of forgiveness, I see God God saying here, look, I'll act as the judge. I'm the only one who can act as judge. Mm. So you leave them to me. And you allow me to judge. And Jesus said in that Luke passage, you'd be better if he had a millstone hung about his neck than it would be uh, mm -hmm. that he were to have to deal with me. And so that's a, that's a pretty severe illustration there that Jesus gives. Um, so there's this one, I think part of forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. It's not saying it, it wasn't bad. And it's not saying that it's okay. It's saying actually that the debt is so great. Mm -hmm. There's no way that you could do anything to make it up. There, there, you couldn't. So all I can do is give it over to God and let the judge, the righteous judge, I'll let him handle you. And however you, if you don't want my forgiveness, if you continue to try to act upon your own sinful stuff, I'm going to let God deal with you. Um, and I'm going to, and, and it'd be better if you had a millstone about your neck than let God deal with you, to be honest with you. So you're in, I'm, I'm leaving you in good hands. Uh, but then also so that I am not spending my life wallowing in the toxins that bitterness and hate and anger produce in my own life while the person who's hurting me goes on and, and, and I'm over here seething in all of this poison in my own heart and life to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to release you of my need to pay you back. Now, in, because the debt's too great, you could crawl all the way to my house on your knees and beg, and it wouldn't be enough for what you've done to me. It's too great. So I have one of two choices when you owe me that kind of debt. I either release you from the debt, or I hold it against you for the rest of your life. 
mm-hmm. because the debt's too big. And you know that that there's another parable Jesus gives of the man who owed so much he could never pay the man back, and the man released him of that debt because it was impossible to pay back. And I, and I think that's what we have to actually realize is the truth that when people harm us in these ways, they there's there's nothing they can say or ever do that's going to pay that back. And so my thing is, how can I be free? Well, I can forgive. And what does that mean then? That means I give them to God and and I release them because they'll never be able to pay me back. There's nothing they'll ever be able to do that'll make this go away. And then I can go on without the toxin in my life Mm -hmm. and I'll leave them to God to be judged. And I believe because he is who he says he is, he is the righteous judge. And in in the end, the end, God will deal with them justly. Um, So... You know, those are hard principles to walk through, and, and they're even more they're even more difficult to, to to act upon because I know in my own life I've been at the point of having to forgive somebody. I don't want to forgive them. Sure. I want payback. You know, I I can even spiritualize it, Rand, and say, God, just let me be there when you take them down. You know, <laughs> and you know, and there's still what there, I have to realize when I feel that way, I'm I'm still holding on. You know, I'm, I still got a slice of that pie that I've not released. So for me, Ali, I don't know, you can build upon that. But for me, I think that's the hardest part for women to get to is realizing the devil's lied. It's forgiveness is not about letting people off the hook. No, it's no. about a debt that's too big to be forgiven. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the some of the women that I've, I've I've worked with a lot of times, and we started looking at because many times so so many of these women were set on this path by their abuser, whether it's specifically one of them thinking of her stepfather, got her into drugs, prostituted her out, and, you know, as she was a teenager. And so she, she kept talking about the path that she had chosen. I was like, well, first of all, that's the path that he set you on as a child. And now we're working, we're working, but we're walking away from that path. And so when she does decide, hey, I've got a new path, um, that either that mercy provided her through God's grace, that mercy, you know, mercy workshop was able to step in and provide her something different to walk away and walk in a new path. That was part of her forgiveness of saying, okay, I'm going to step off that path. I'm going to let you let this, whatever happened on that pathway, similar to what Reva says, similar, you know, as far as like just letting that go and stepping toward, because I'm going in a new direction now. And if she starts thinking of it as a different path and stepping, um, stepping uh, into a different direction and a new and a new pathway because so many times a lot of the women and church women say to me all the time well a lot of your women they're prostitutes by choice and I'm like well let's talk about choice for a minute there's a difference between making a choice and actually having choices and a lot of these women didn't have a choice when they were on this first path but once mercy our ministry comes along and says okay here's a new path then everything that they had whether it was the prostitution or the drug addiction or the the hurt and the the difficulty of forgiveness that's an old path and they can start visualizing maybe okay walking in a new direction and so it's that same you know we uh reva taught us this about forgiveness you know so many years ago to say okay i'm going to leave this one behind because god's going to handle this and 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 he's 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 going to have to deal with it because they can't pay me back the all the hurt they trust so i'm going to leave that path behind and step into a new direction and that's kind of the way we have to get them to visualize it because they take so much of it on themselves as well so they blame obviously their abuser but then they also there's that self blame i brought it on or i lived in it i didn't get away fast enough and and they pile that on as well and satan allows them to just you know 
pile right. that on so it's forgiving forgiving their abuser as well as they, they feel like they need to forgive themselves um, for staying in. And, and we have to, we have to talk about it, maybe a new doorway or a new pathway. Yeah. Well, Hey, I want to piggyback on both of those. Okay. Do we have a time constraint here? Are we okay? Good. Go ahead, Rand. Okay. All right. First of all, the, uh, the concept of uh, forgiving, accepting forgiveness. Let's go there first. Uh, I love the, uh, what is it? Luke uh, is a seven. Uh, around verse 47, when Jesus was invited to a bunch of preachers meeting, guys named Simon and the woman who was a sinner, we assume was a prostitute at his feet. And uh, I love that passage where Simon got freaked out. He goes, wow, if Jesus knew who this was, if he knew, he should have never been here. He, the Bible says he thought that. And then the next verse says, and Jesus answered him. So that tells me, never think anything you don't want Jesus to answer, okay? Because he knows our thoughts. But then he, somehow, I believe that Jesus had met her before and offered forgiveness. And like many of us who do have a past, you know, we know God loves us, but we have that little inside feeling like, but I'm sure you're a little disappointed in me. I know you love me and forgave me, but I, I wish I could do better. We, we, you know, we do, we struggle with that kind of, of thinking. But when Jesus then said, the ones that are forgiven much, love much. And that girl didn't stop showing her love when she truly understood that she was forgiven. Now, with the forgiveness part, what you guys both quoted was Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we don't crawl into God's parking place. We let him take that but the one concept that has been taught i'll say more philosophically certainly not biblically is forgive and forget and the kids i'm in my office with 14 year old girls who her mom's boyfriend raped her and she had aids and was going to die or another one who got pregnant and they forced her to have an abortion and and so you're telling me they're going to forget now i wrestled with this because of my past and difficulties growing up in the families that i grew up in uh, the forgive and forget, I finally realized that I'd probably lived struggling my whole life because I couldn't forget. And therefore, I felt that I couldn't forgive. And then it hit me one day. I was already mid-20s. I'm thinking, oh, wait, wait, wait. Does God forget our sins when we get saved? And if I ask that in the church, everybody goes, yes. No, he doesn't. He can't. If you walk into some theology here, he is, he is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. How can anyone who knows everything forget anything? Or he is immutable, unchanging. He's immutable in his love. He doesn't love us more when we're really, really good or less when we're really, really bad. But he's immutable in his knowledge. He doesn't increase or decrease in knowledge. Therefore, he cannot forget. And then I was reminded, thy word is preserved in heaven, O Lord. David's adultery, Peter's denial is written in the word of God for everybody to know forever and forever and forever. So it's not that there's a forgetting what he does. He does this, your sins I have separated as far as the east is from the west. I will bring them to my remembrance no more. It doesn't say he forgot. He says, I choose not to bring them and hold them against you ever again. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And I remember when I thought that, I go, wait, 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 I can do that. I can't forget, but I can choose not to hold it against them. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Reba, you mentioned it. 
we don't feel like forgiving sometimes. We no. don't feel like it, okay? No. But forgiveness is not a feeling. It's right. a promise, okay? So where do we go with that? When we make a promise, I will not bring it up to you to myself or anyone else again. I've counseled some kids who's, we'll say a father or grandfather sinned against them, and they died. Now what do they do? Right. They can't, quote, unquote, ask for forgiveness. I say, no, wait, wait. No, forgiveness, I won't bring it up to you, to myself, or anyone else again. So that doesn't mean every time you mention that person, you tell everybody what a scoundrel he was, how wicked he was. No, 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 no. You put that behind you. Here's the goal. So true forgiveness in what God has done even for me, okay, is when there's no fear in love. Perfect love, First John, perfect love casts out all fear. I don't have to be afraid when I get in the presence of God that, yeah, you're saved, Rand, but whoa, you are a mess. No, no, no. His mercy is everlasting. It never, ever, ever ends, okay? My God loves me so much, there's no fear because I know he loves me so much. It's gone. Jesus took care of that judiciously. If we confess our sins, he is the judge. He is just to forgive us, okay? So understanding this, that when we come to God for forgiveness and he forgives us, what does he do for me? Uh, Psalm 103, he remembers that I am dust. He, what, pities his children. Uh, the book Meek and Lowly really nails this well. It's a great book to read, by the way. And he literally, quote unquote, feels sorry for us. He pities us. So I remember reading that and then when I realized that even with those in my life who had seriously sinned against me, all of a sudden I remember thinking, you know, Lord, I feel sorry for them. I really do. Um, like in some situations, I won't be very careful who, how I phrase all this. Uh, there are those in my life who have sinned against me. If they could have just known God well and been in a good church and had Christian families and been trained to be in his word, maybe gone to a Christian college and really even pursued the ministry, they could have been great. Hard workers, diligent, they could have been great, but they didn't. So therefore, I literally pity them that they have driven away from their lives. Most people who would in reality would have loved them, okay? I feel sorry for them. So I call pity disappointment wrapped in love. And when I talk to these girls, and I'll look at them, and by this point, we're both crying. I'll say, if, if this person that sinned against you really knew Jesus, he would have never done that to you. If he would have some point met the Lord and asked and truly sought forgiveness from God and was walking with God, he would have never made those choices to sin. I'm not saying that they weren't even saved, but I'm saying they weren't walking with God. And now, all of a sudden, my heart is filled with pity, disappointment, wrapped in love, not necessarily in a condescending way, but I just feel so sorry for you that you're so addicted to your drugs and to your porn and to your selfishness that you, you feel like you cannot say no. I feel sorry for you, okay? And when a kid can get to the point where they literally can say this, okay, it's so freeing. And let me quickly give you the two passages I use to help these kids. And I tell them, we're going to write a prayer. And as we write this prayer, I, you can rephrase it when you get home. But I want to show you how you can pray and thank God for these bad things that have happened in your life. And they look at me and they go, what? I said, I'm not saying you're going to feel that way. But here's a prayer. 
that someday will enable you to do this, okay? And I go, I take in First Peter 4, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a triune. So some strange thing happened. And I'll look at these kids. And by the way, just so you know, I'll have the kids with me, but I always have another counselor, one of our staff. I don't counsel even boys or girls alone anymore. We make sure there's others there. And I'll look at them and say, do you ever feel like weird or strange or different than other kids? They always say, yeah, all the time. These other kids don't even know. I wouldn't know if you hadn't told me. You're not strange. You're not weird. You're not different. Then I look at the counselor and I say, now she's weird. She's different. She's strange. But you're normal. You're a normal, ordinary teenage kid who's been through a real tough time of fiery trial. So don't think you're strange or different. But then the end of the verse and going into verse 13 says, but rejoice. I'm thinking, how? How do I rejoice? In as much as you're a partaker of Christ's suffering. You know how Jesus felt when he died on the cross. If it's physical abuse, I walk him through the scourging and what really happened with the cat of nine tails and the spitting in his face. If it's sexual abuse, I usually walk through. I say, you know, I know our pictures always have a loincloth, but these crosses were along the road. The feet were no more than two or three feet off the ground. They were totally naked. The humiliation, the embarrassment. And one of the hardest things in any sexual abuse is the memory, the memory of being disclosed. When people take your clothes off for their own joy, uh, I'm sorry, those things never leave your mind, ever, okay? And I say, you understand the heart of Christ when he died there on the cross, okay? But Hebrews tells us, you know what Jesus did about that? He despised the shame. Doesn't mean he hated it. He looked at that shame as nothing. Because he knew that what he was doing was someday going to forgive all of us to spend forever with him in heaven, okay? So this is what we write. Lord, thank you for allowing this in my life. Now I know a little bit more how you felt, how Jesus felt when he died on the cross for me. Then I quickly take him over to 2 Corinthians 1.4. The end of verse 3 says, The God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation. I remind him tribulation, fiery trial are the same thing. Who, who comforts us in their tribulation, that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we ourselves are comforted of God, okay? And then I'll ask them, what do you want to do when you get out of school, when you really grow up? You will be amazed at how many of these kids who have been abused want to be a social worker, want to be a nurse. They want to help people. That's a God-given thing in their hearts. And I'll say, you know. And then I tell them this. I love doing this. I'll cry telling you. But they're sitting there. Sorry. And then I'll say to them, okay, how old are you? And they'll say 14, 15. I say, and I'll turn to the counselor and say, how old are you? And she'll say 21. I say, okay, I'll give you five years. You go on to Christian college. You come back to the wilds of New England. You're a counselor. What did I just do? I gave that kid such hope because they think they're nothing and trash and can never be used by God. And I'm telling them that they can actually be a counselor at a Christian camp. And the kids think the counselors are like next thing to an angel, if you know what I mean. And they get this smile on their face. And I said, and then the kid comes to me like you and has been abused, have been through a tough time. I'm going to counsel them like I am you. But you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to go find you and I'm going to set you guys up at Cool Beans. I'm going to buy you both a latte. And I'm going to tell this other girl, you need to talk to this girl because she's been there. She knows what it feels like. The comfort we have of God that we can comfort others. And this is the prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing this in my life. Now I know how Jesus must have felt when he died on the cross for me. And someday I'm going to be able to help somebody else who's going through the same thing.
Now, you know what I just did? Twofold. I helped them get their focus off of self, God and others, God and others. Elijah says, I want to die. What did God do? Made him sleep, eat, sleep, eat, which is a great way to spend the weekend, okay? And then God, once he took care of him physically, he revealed who he was. And then he said, I want you to get back to work. You go anoint Hazel as king and get Elisha. You're not indispensable. You get Elisha to be the next prophet. Get your eyes off of self, back on God and others, God and others. The Shema, what we started this whole podcast with, loving God and loving others, okay? So I, I love to take him to that. And then I also remind them that God is going to use their difficulty in some way to encourage someone else who is hurting just as much, okay? And so, Lord, thank you for allowing this in my life. Now I know how Jesus must have felt on the cross, and someday I'm going to help others the same way you have helped me. I cannot even tell you from a Wednesday to a Thursday the smile on a camper's face. Or kids coming back to me, I'm thinking right now of somebody who is a, is a trained counselor, has all the certification, that when she was a little girl, I sat down with her because her dad ran off with a woman. And now God just totally turned that kid around, okay? So this has been my life, and this is how I encourage those who have been sinned against, okay, to release this, as both you girls said, but also to realize that God has given us kind of a new platform that we can be a real blessing to a lot of hurting people. It's not sin to hurt, but it is sin to hate. And, and you've got to turn that hate into disappointment wrapped in love, turn to pity. Because when God saved me, you know what he did? He forgave me. And then he credited to my account the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at Randy, looks at me as I'm in Christ. And this is what you encourage on even those who have sinned against us, what they could have been if they were in Christ. I'm doing the same thing for others that God did for me. Okay. I know this is a lot of heavy theology, but when you translate it to a 14-year-old kid, I'm telling you, these truths can be releasing. They really can. Well, I'll tell you what I love about that, and that is. We've often talked, Ali and I have often had lengthy conversations about how so much of it that surrounds sexual addictions, pornography, um, are often stigmatized as if you have no future. And yeah. uh, so many of these sexual sins are considered on another level than all the other sins. And so somehow, you know, um, and what I think is a great way to maybe end this podcast, but also just a great way to, as we think about uh, helping not just others, but also as we think about our own marriages, our own children, our own situations, is that there is hope. Because mm -hmm. Jesus lives, there's hope. Because Jesus died, there's hope. Because there's victory. Um, and this is not a, uh, boy, there's no hope. Uh, there's no way out. There's, there's, this is impossible. But, in, but because of who Jesus is, people do have futures. And there's great opportunities in front of them. And what a, uh, man, what a great, so oh, this has been so much today. It, I'm going to have to, I'll have to go back and listen to this podcast four times just to be able to get all of the good stuff I think that's been said today, but this has really been good. It's one of those pause, digest, take notes, turn it back <laughs> yes. on again, digest, take notes, because it has been good. And that's, that's one of the things that we, we do with our women is not just, you know, set a path for healing, but also set a path for now it's time for you to, whether it's mm -hmm. teaching one of the newer women how to make a piece of jewelry or, or explaining them the process of the program and how it's helped you to step them in, step into their healing as well. 
And so I think that's, that's, that's part of their healing and, and understanding that there is hope and healing at the end of, uh, at this, of this stigmatized, such a, such a stigmatized um, problem. Mm-hmm. Well, Rand, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been so good. And uh, man, I hope that as you've listened, regardless, maybe this is you. Maybe you're in the middle of this addiction and maybe you're in the middle of the struggle. Maybe you're in the middle of being in an abusive situation of some sort. Um, maybe you're married to somebody who's struggling through. Uh, we don't know your stories, uh, but I'm so grateful that God knows your stories and he speaks into those things. Um, and so we hopefully something that Rand has said today is truth. Think about uh, Lest You Fall. That's that homework book he talked about, uh, being able to get into that and walk through that. Uh, dark side of the internet, uh, just kind of exposing a lot of the traps of pornography and and being able to kind of step into that. And I know a lot of parents are listening, Rand, and they're burdened for their kids and they're burdened about the access that their kids have to these things. Um, And uh, so that's probably going to be another topic for another time, but but understanding that. I do want to mention this, especially for the kids. Um, One of my burdens is show them just how they could un- they can understand scripture and i do have uh, a monday to friday daily meditations it's kind of like a podcast it's called daily meditations you just go to randhummel.com and hit subscribe it's free it costs nothing it's just bible study we're right now in the bit in the middle of uh, ephesians and uh okay. it's just a lot of fun going through that and every it's just monday to friday it's about five or six minutes long you can read it on your phone, you can get on your iPad, whatever you can get on through podcasts and all that, or you can listen. It's also audio. And so um, I, I would love for some, if they could just, I like it called an appetizer for your devotions that day. And maybe kids on their way to school or a lot of families actually listen to it while they're eating breakfast before they head to work in school. But if we can be a blessing, either the wilds in New yeah. England, uh, you can go to that website or randhummel.com. Okay, so ranhummel.com, and that's where you can sign up to get the get those yeah. five minute, six minute meditations, which are so great. And um, and again, uh, Ran Hummel with uh, the Wilds of New England, um, and what a blessing it's been! So many great things. And uh, Ran, we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point, okay. Tom, and talk some more about so many of these great things because there's just so many things here. I think that are hopefully have been helpful. Um, remember really what this podcast is all about. Ali and I, we talk about this every single time uh, at some point, and that is someone says you can be like a tree planted by the rivers yeah. of life. And as we're planted into the word of God and the truths of the word of God, what happens? We, we bring forth fruit in, in our season. We flourish. We're evergreen. And it's the descriptor that the psalmist gave us of what it looks like to just be planted deeply and rooted deeply in Christ and who he is. And so that's the reason Rand's here today, because it doesn't matter if it's pornography, and sexual addiction, uh, the fight for through many different issues. We can all find ourselves deeply rooted and changed. And we're able to do things we never thought we'd be able to do because Christ is working in us and through us. So thanks for joining the podcast today. And we will see you next time on Rooted Deep. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org. And look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.